Welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're here today. And what an honor it is this morning to bring the word to you today. I've got a lot on my heart that I just want to share with you. And um, we are going to get into the word of God today. This morning, we are uh, continuing in our series called Easter People. And since this is Palm Sunday, I thought I would focus on Jesus and the people who surrounded him on that particular day of Palm Sunday and uh, of who he really was, the perceptions of those people, who they thought Jesus really was. And so we're going to go to two passages this morning. One is in Matthew, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 21, and then we're going to go over to the book of Revelation um, and uh, chapter 19, chapter 19. So we're going, first of all, to Matthew chapter 21, and um, Catherine... Uh, Gave a little introduction already to uh, our, the message today, and uh, we're going we're gonna to have fun today looking at the Word. It's going to challenge us in a good way. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 10, we see here an entrance by Jesus Christ on an animal. He's the rider on an animal. Let's look at this. As they approached Jerusalem, starting in verse 1, and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples... And saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Jesus is a prophet, isn't he? He can say these things. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and sat, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to read verses 11 through 18. Here we again we see an entrance by Jesus, the writer. Starting verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice, so the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God, 
so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men, horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free, small, and great. The title of this morning's message is, The King is Coming Again Triumphantly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive. We thank you, God, that it is exactly what we need this morning. We thank you, God, that you are the King, Lord Jesus, King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that in these moments, all of our focus would be upon you, Jesus. All of our focus would be, Lord, about you. And God, that you would be lifted up and glorified in these next few moments in all of our hearts. God, just anoint my lips of clay. Help me to speak in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Our message this morning will revolve around two triumphal entrances of Jesus Christ. As we just read in Matthew chapter 21, the first one is found in the triumphal entry of Jesus on that Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday marks the begin, as has been shared already this morning, the beginning of the Passion Week, when Jesus makes his trek toward the cross. It says he set his feet in Isaiah like a flint towards Jerusalem. The account is what is known in the Word of God as the triumphal entry, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and is proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the long-awaited one. And this is indeed what he is and what he is. This first triumphal entrance was foretold by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We're going to look at that a couple more times this morning. Let's read that again, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Zion. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Well, this prophecy describes Jesus. This is written way before Christ came as a babe in Bethlehem. And it was written foretelling the coming of Christ. And it describes him as righteous, bringing salvation. He will be gentle, describing his humility and riding on a donkey. His coming into Jerusalem on that day was among the many scriptural evidences and proofs that Jesus truly was the Messiah, the one that Moses said, and another deliverer will come like me. This is the one that they had long awaited for. This was their king. This was the king who they worshiped and praised on that first Palm Sunday. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were shouting it. But they also shouted only five days later, many of them, crucify him. Crucify him. The Jews crucified him because he was not the type of king that they thought they needed, that they were looking for. They were looking for a political Messiah, one that would help them overthrow the Roman government, deliver them, them from all the Roman taxes and the oppression that the Romans had upon the Jewish people. And they were oppressed. They were brutal. We read the history of that and we see this. And they, indeed, they were suffering. But this is not why Jesus came. He did not come to be that kind of king. Rather, he came to establish a kingship in the hearts of men and women and not a physical kingdom. But most of the Jewish people missed this. Most of their religious scholars and leadership missed this also. The timing of the first triumphal entry was foretold 
through the Old Testament prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, where it says, No one understand this. From the issuing of decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, that is Jesus, the ruler, meaning king, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. You can do the study on your own, but those in Jesus' day who knew the scriptures could to the year by, by prophecy when the, know when the Messiah would enter into the Matthew account there, into Jerusalem. They could pinpoint to the date when the Messiah would be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. From the time of Daniel to there would be 69 periods of sevens or seven sevens or 69 sevens or 483 years rather which would mark the coming of Jesus the Messiah. But nonetheless, the Jews missed out on their king. This illustrates for us today, folks, how we really need to know the Word of God. We need to be in the Word. I hope you've been, between Sundays, I hope you've been opening your Bible and that you are insatiably hungry for the things of God. Know what God says because God loves you so much He wants to share His thoughts with you. And we also have, as we read in, from Scripture here, we see in the book of Revelation a second triumphal entry. We see this that is yet to come. And this event also will happen just as certainly as the first one. It is the event spoken of in Revelation 19. This event also foretold in the Scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible. It says in Psalm 18, verse 8, which is regarded as a messianic passage speaking of Jesus foretelling the triumphal entry of Christ's second coming in Revelation 19. It says, Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. Well, where Christ's first triumphal entry was announced with the praises and shouts of Hosanna, the second coming will be announced in the sky. In, for in Matthew chapter 24, verses 27 and verse 30 through 31, Jesus says this, For as the lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man, and that's a term that Jesus used of himself, the Son of Man, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. That is, those who have rejected Christ in this lifetime will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Just as Christ made a triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, proclaiming himself as king, so again the king is coming again triumphantly. And folks, both entrances are good news. Both entrances are good news. I just praise God that he does not leave his people without instructions, the followers of Jesus, without instruction and understanding about the past, about the present, and about the future. You know, we can watch the news today, can we? And we can know what's going on in the world, but we can read the Bible and we can know why it's happening in the world. Amen? We can know why. We can know why. And as we take a uh, I want to ask this question first before I ask the other thing, is that I want to ask you this question. Are you ready to meet this triumphal king? Yes. 
Are you ready to meet this triumphal king? And as we take a closer look at these two passages in Matthew and Revelation, I want to make three com comparisons between the two. Three comparisons that will help us prepare to meet the King of kings and Lord of lords. First of all, as we compare the two, let's note the fact, point number one, both entrances are the same Jesus. Both entrances are the same Jesus. In both passages, it is the same Lord, the lover of the souls of men and women. In entrance uh, number one, Jesus comes as Savior. For a third time, let's look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We're doing this intentionally because it tells us the purpose of his coming. Again, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus made it very clear on that first Palm Sunday that he had not come to be a ruler of the physical earth. Rather, he came bringing or having salvation. He came to bring and to rescue the souls of men and women. Just think about this for a moment. Jesus did not come with royal attendants. He didn't have a big entourage. He didn't come with richly ornamented robes. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they were proud of their phylacteries and their turbans and all the things. They loved to be seen in men. Jesus, he looked like an everyday common folk. He came in humbly. He didn't come with city officials along his side. Make way, make way for Jesus, the King, the Messiah. They didn't say that. Nor did he come with horses and chariots. Rather, he came with palm branches and garments, and garments uh, of his friends were laid down on the road before him. There were no expensive flowers. There were no red carpets. There was nothing. Jesus had none of these but he came on a donkey. He came humble in the character he wanted his followers to have. He came as a gentle, meek king. You know what meekness is? Meekness is steel wrapped in velvet. Steel wrapped in velvet. Gentle, compassionate Jesus is, and yet strong and unbending in proclaiming truth, fearing no man, but putting his delight, as it says in Isaiah, in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to respect what God says. Respect what God says. When I was a boy, I feared the voice of my parents because when they said something, they meant it. And that fear was a healthy respect, and I love my parents. You know, Jesus did not care about the praises of sinful men. He cared only what the Father wanted him to do. His mission was to save the lost, the brokenhearted, to the oppressed. He held, out, he held out invitations of salvation to every kind of person. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad of that? If they had skin on them, he loved them. He was not willing that any human being should perish in their sin. And Jesus is doing the same right now. Right now, here today, in this room and in this world. And God is graciously calling everyone here today to receive him as Lord, King, ruler of your life, and as Savior. That's how Jesus comes to you. He comes to you as Savior, and he wants to be your Lord. They come together. Savior, Lord. Savior, Lord. Rulership, Lordship. Rulership, Lordship. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23 
really describes God's heart for every person's soul. Look at this. It says, verse 23, Ezekiel, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn, that is, repent, from their sins, from their ways, and live? See, that's God's heart. That is God's heart. Folks, this Jesus who rode into Jerusalem wept for those who rejected him as their king. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And our sins already condemn that. We know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And it goes on and says, but our, because our sins already condemn us. And we needed a holy God to come and take our place and pay that price. Folks, this Jesus wept. He wept for the souls of men. He came to save us from our sin. For all of us, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus, for the joy set before him, think about this. He endured the Roman cross. Do some research on it. It's agony. The service of the shadows coming up this Friday. It wasn't, it wasn't a bed of roses. It was horrible. It was a, a, a place of torture. No other device has man conceived that would, that would be a slow, agonizing death like the cross. So he was obedient, and for the joy set before him, he took the cup, and he, he hung on that cross because he loves you, and he wanted to bring the attention of God's love for you and to pay the price for our sin, my sin. When you think about it, think about this. God has exhausted every means under heaven to make our salvation possible. God cannot do any more than what he has already done. And you know what, folks? He will never override your free will because he wants a genuine relationship. He's not going to force it because that would not be a genuine relationship. Christ came into Jerusalem to bring triumph for your soul, to bring victory over sin. He came publicly proclaiming himself as the one who came to save. And therefore, if we've not done so, it's so important that we come to Christ while we still have time in this life. None of us knows how much time that we have. All we have guaranteed for now is that we have today. But we don't know that we have tomorrow. Referring to the second coming of Christ, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord, and I'm so glad, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Well, in the first triumphal entry, Jesus came as Savior. However, in the second entrance, Jesus is coming as Judge. He's coming as judge. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, again, we see, we'll look at 11 and 12. A writer, his name is Faithful and True. This is Jesus, the triumphant. He is warrior Messiah, no longer riding on a donkey, but on a white horse this time, which is a symbol of war. Verse 11 says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. Verse 12, first part says, his eyes are like blazing fire, which is also a symbol of justice. And on his head are many crowns. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
He's making a triumphal entry as judge. He's going to make all wrongs right. How many think things are broken on this earth? How do you think it's broken? Things are not working correctly. There's, there's conflict in our world. There's things going on. Our God is holy. Our God is just. He embraces righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice, the Bible says, are the foundations of his throne. Psalm 96 and verse 13 also speaks of this justice. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes, speaking of Messiah coming. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Of Christ's second coming, it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 through 10, it says, all this is evident that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. The Christians at the time of this writing, the Thessalonian church, they were suffering. They, were not, they did not fit in the world. They were living in righteousness. They were living Christ-like. They were walking with the Lord and they were suffering for their testimony. Verse 6, God is just. He will pay back to those who trouble you. Verse 7, and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. Paul writes that to the, to the church, the believers, the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. Folks, it is the same Jesus. It is the same Jesus. He's the one who came gentle, meek, humble, lowly, the one who came to save. It's the same Jesus. But when he comes again, he's coming as judge. God is a fair judge. I'm glad God's going to be a judge. I'm not going to sit in God's seat and judge. God's the judge. You know, God loves justice. God would not be a good God if he didn't bring justice. If I went to Huntley High School this week, and I'm not going to do this, and I got a machine gun out, and I shot 200 students, and it's on the video, and I get arrested, and I said, yeah, I did it. I did it. You know what? And I'm, I do it all over again. Let me do it again. And then, you know, so they convict me or whatever, and that, or they're, you know, I, I show up for a conviction in that, and uh, I'm in the room there, and I'm standing before the, the judge, and the judge says, you know what? I'm just really having a good day today. I'm going to pardon you. I'm going to quit. You're acquitted. You can leave. You're going. How many think that would be a good judge to do that? It would not be a good judge. See, all the parents in that room that, that lost their loved ones, they'd say, we want justice. We want justice. You see, God would not be a good God if he did not finally bring justice to all things. Amen? Are you following me? Sin, think about this, is a violation of the healthy, loving, moral boundaries of God. All good moral laws are based on God. All good moral laws are based on God. Justice enforces the moral bound, those moral boundaries which healthy laws for healthy controls. 
Healthy controls bring about true freedom. Immoral laws bring unhealthy controls, and those, these controls create unhealthy boundaries and forfeit true freedom. See, Jesus comes to bring justice and to set us free. He's a God of justice. You see, the triumph of Christ can be your triumph as well. The triumph of Christ can be your triumph as well. He does not want to come to you as judge. He wants to come to you as Savior. And I mean that with all the love of God in my heart. Amen? Are you, are you, are you connecting? I don't hate you. It's not hate speech. This is truth. I'm just speaking truth. Okay? His victory can be your victory too. Say amen. amen. Okay? The triumph Jesus is here for you today. The triumphal Jesus is here for you today. Point number two. Secondly, as we compare the two passages in Matthew and Revelation, we also note this. Number two, both entrances were the entrance of the triumphant. Both entrances were entrances of the triumphant. The first entrance in Matthew was a triumph. Uh, I don't want ever have this in your mind, on your mind. Get this out of your mind if it's there. That the road to the cross was a defeat. It was not a defeat. Uh, that Christ's death was determined by the rule of an angry mob. That's what killed them. They just got angry and they killed Jesus. Not at all. No. Jesus speaking about his crucifixion in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, he says this. The reason my father loves me, Jesus said, is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. See, Palm Sunday marked the path toward the cross. It's the beginning of the Passion Week. But God was completely, folks, in control. It was calculated and it was intentional. And the cross was the destiny of Jesus. He had to. He's, he's the lamb slain before the creation of the world. He could have called 10,000 angels. How many remember that old song? He could have called 10,000. Okay, not too many. Okay, well, all right. Oh, hey, there's a few back there. Okay, all right. He could have called all the artillery of heaven. He could have. He could have. But he didn't. It wasn't the Father's will. He took the cup. It says in Isaiah, it's hard to say it. <clears throat> it was his will to crush him. It's his will to crush him. That's, that's the Lord's destiny. See, I'm glad he went all the way, aren't you? Notice the triumphal procession. Who was there? Jesus was there. The true disciples of Jesus were there. Now, I know there were some professing Christians. We know that Judas is there. And Iscariot, Iscariot, he later betrayed the Lord. But all the genuine followers are there. I've, as I've already said, let me say it again. The triumph of Christ became the disciples' triumph as well. The path to the cross is a victory for anyone then and afterwards who put their faith in them. We have to go to the cross deny ourselves, pick up our cross, die daily, and follow him. Amen? We have to put to death the old man and go to a new life in Christ. We are born again. Old things are past. All things are become new. Christ 
came to save us, to change us, to be who we, he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. What a great life the Lord's given us. Jesus gives victory too when we come to the cross and are willing to lay down our sin and all of our heartaches at his feet. You know those true disciples who were following Jesus in the procession on that first Palm Sunday were the ones who were triumphant with him. Paul writes to the, to the church in Colossae in the book of Colossians in chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. He says, when you were dead in your sins, the wages of sin is death, right? And in uncircumcision of your, of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. Those are healthy boundaries. We, both, we broke them all. Immoral. We, we broke them, all of us. He says he took it away. Nailing it to the cross. And having armed, disarmed the powers of, and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Praise God. Christ's triumph becomes our triumph over sin when we decide to become his disciple. A follower of Jesus. Folks, that's good news. That's good news. It gives you something to sing and shout about. You know, I want us to notice that the triumph of the second entrance. Who was there in the triumphal procession and second triumphal entry? Again, of course, Jesus is there, the warrior Messiah. He's leading the procession. He's riding the white horse towards certain victory to make everything right, to destroy once and for all, all wickedness. He's heading toward his victory at the Battle of Armageddon. And who's, who's following him? Who's behind him? Who's following the one who cannot be defeated? The armies of heaven. The church. All the saints who are already in heaven. This includes all those who have ever served the Lord. All, every disciple is riding on horses and they are wearing white robes. They are clean, forgiven. They've been washed in the sinless blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. The angels of heaven, Jesus said, well, were also in this, in this army, in this procession. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm on the winning side, and I'm glad that everyone here can be on the winning side. Say amen. I'm glad about that. And I want to make sure that I watch my life closely. I want to watch sure that I'm carding my heart closely. I want to remain in Christ. I'm choosing daily to follow him. I'm glad for the present victory that God gives me through Jesus Christ. Did you know, think about all the blessings that we have in Christ. We have a wonderful relationship with him. Do you know that the joy of heaven is Jesus? That's the joy of heaven. That's the joy. You know, we have the help in every problem and situation when we know Jesus. Every single problem, every situation, no exceptions. It might be a little rough, but we have God to take it through it with us, right? Amen? We have grace. We have divine strength. We have his help to overcome any sin, any addiction. He can break every chain, right? He can break every chain, all right? And so much more. We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to the church through Christ, and I'm so glad for the victories in the future and for all eternity through Christ Jesus, it's going to be worth it, folks. It's going to be worth it. Thank God Christ is coming again triumphantly, and the true church has a share and inheritance in the victory of Christ. My last point is this. 
We make a final comparison in Matthew and Revelation. We note that, number three, both entrances are received differently by different people. Both entrances are received differently by different people. The, the perceptions of the people, we're talking about Easter people here, okay? And both entrances were different. Christ was received in different ways. First of all, let's notice the perceptions of the people on Christ's triumphal entry. His first entrance on that first Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. We have an idea of all who was there. We can look in the Gospels. We can, we can kind of detect it, look at it, and we can find out some things. Who was there? There was no small crowd there. The crowds came to Jerusalem for the Passover from all over the world. All over the world. As we read, Matthew states, the whole city was stirred. And John chapter 12, verse 12 says, a great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. The notable Jewish historian Josephus estimated that over two million people were involved in the great Passover feast. Through his writings, it was known that, think about this, 256,550 lambs were slain, sacrificed at one Passover, and each lamb was, was supposed to rest, represent ten worshipers. And please understand it, um, how beautiful, how significant, and how intentional it was for the Father to have Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, who was to be slain for the sins of the world to enter Jerusalem during the Passover feast. Do you see the connection? We're not sure that too many, two million people were there that day when Jesus entered, but we do know conservatively that there were certainly thousands. Who was there? The true followers of Jesus were there, of course. Even though they scattered at the arrest uh, and trial of Jesus, they continued to follow him, except for Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. They acknowledged him as Savior, the Anointed One, the, the Savior, the King. The Bible says that while this event was happening, they did not totally understand the significance of what was happening on, on that first Palm Sunday until after the resurrection. You know who else was there? The thankful were there. The poor were there. The common folk of whom Jesus treated with the dignity that a human being deserves. They were there. I'm sure Mar Mary Magdalene was there in whom Jesus drove out seven demons and others who had been set free. Lazarus was there whom Jesus had raised the dead just earlier, just prior to this, after being dead for four days. He was there. People who had been touched and transformed were there. There were those who were there because they looked upon Jesus as their conqueror, as their political savior. They were there. Out of their lips came these praises. The one who could straighten out all their problems with the Romans who had oppressed them. Some were there because they looked at Jesus as their provider. They not only looked to Jesus as the one who could provide what they needed, but they did not understand who he really was. It is true that Jesus wants to be our provider, but he wants us not only to seek his hand, but he wants us to seek his heart. He wants that relationship. There were those who came just because of the miracles. Say, man, this is fun. This is entertaining. They were there. Think of it. From the lips of all these came all these hosannas. In the highest, lifting them up. The curious who hated Jesus, they were there. 
John chapter 12, verse 9 says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews that found Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom they had raised, whom he had raised from the dead. Those among the Jewish religious leadership had put their faith in Jesus after the raising of Lazarus. But the greater number hated him and plotted to kill him and rebuked Jesus and, and for accepting worship from the crowd because Jesus is accepting the worship. He says, stop them from worshiping. He says, no. He said, the very stones, the rocks will cry out if they don't worship me. In all of the crowd, there were those whose true perceptions were though, there were those who were there with their true perceptions, and there were those with their untrue perceptions. Jesus was surrounded with people that Passion Week who had all kinds of opinions, who was who they thought he should be, who he was and who they thought they should be. Folks, it is the same today. There are those who have true perceptions, and there are those who have untrue perceptions who Jesus is. If you get your perception of Jesus Christ from the non-believing world's opinion of him, you're getting the wrong opinion. You're getting the wrong opinion. Satan will lie through his teeth in today's marketplace, in media, in education, in government, in the sciences, whose philosophies and ideologies contradict the truth. They will reduce Jesus in this world to nothing but a fairy tale. The only perception that is right is this. Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the triumphal King who died for your sins to make way for you to come with Him in heaven. And He is dying to know you as well. Briefly, let's compare the first entrance with the second entrance. We ask the same question, who was there? Jesus is there, the same Jesus. The disciples, the followers of Christ, they're there. And the procession of Christ coming with the armies of heaven, they're coming with Jesus, with the shouts of victory in their heart. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is making entrance into this world to judge all the nations of the earth. Of all that is wrong, he will make all wrongs right. But to the non-believing and to those who rejected him, it will only be the time, a time of fear and dread, for their end will come click, quickly. And here's the question. Are you ready to meet the triumphal king? Are you ready to meet the triumphal king? Won't you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? In the first entrance, he came as Savior, Lord, King. In the second entrance, he's coming as the good, righteous judge. Psalm 24, verse 7 through 10 are messianic verses. It talks about originally when they were bringing the ark, the Philistines had, had stolen the ark, and they were bringing in the, into the ark into the gates of Jerusalem, and they were celebrating. And this is a type in the shadow of Christ coming into Jerusalem. And it says this in verse 7, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. How should we do this? How should we announce the coming of the presence of the Lord? How should we do this? Lift up your heads, O you gates, Jerusalem city gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. 
Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your gates, oh, lift up your head, O oh gates. <laughs> lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Selah, think about it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. I'm going to ask you this, this morning, will you let the King gain entrance into your heart this morning? I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. I want us all to bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment. Every head bow, every eye closed. It's not that it's anything to be ashamed. I want us to think about ourselves. Where do we stand before the Lord? If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity right now. Allow Jesus to make that triumphal entry into your heart so that his triumph can become yours. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, King, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What are we saved from? <clears throat> the wrath that our sins deserve. Jesus took the place and he took the wrath upon him on the cross.